out this week, um, if people have asked me, hey, Darcy, how's your message going? I would say to them, it feels heavy. It feels heavy. And then sometimes people would say, well, Darcy, is it the right time to share this message then, to talk about this storm? And I said, well, the heaviness, it's not from that storm. That storm was heavy, but there's a different heaviness that I have felt this week, and I couldn't describe it until I actually saw this little clip of Don Cherie Wilkerson preaching in the States, and she was describing a picture of this mango tree because it's mango season there right now. And this mango tree, as all of this fruit grew on this mango tree, it started to bend with the weight of the mangoes. It was bending, not because it was in a storm, it was bending forward because of how much fruit was hanging on this tree, ready for the picking. This message is heavy because of what God has birthed in me through that storm. It's not heavy because I'm not in that storm, but there is fruit here that I feel like God is ready to give you if you're ready to lean into it. So it is heavy, but I know that God wants to speak to you if you would just lean into this. Can we pray before we get into it? God, I just thank you for how good you are. I thank you that no matter what we face in life, you are there with us. And God, right now in this moment, I know that you wanna speak to your people. I know that you want to encourage them. I know that you want to strengthen them. And you have put this message inside of me that has been brewing for a long, long time. And God, I pray that fruit would fall into the hands of those that need it. I pray that fruit would fall into the hands of those that have come here with broken hearts, with with broken minds, with broken souls. God, I pray that this fruit would fall into the hands of those that need nourishment and strength for the journey ahead of them. For those that are currently walking through a dark valley, I pray that this fruit would become the sustenance they need to keep moving forward. And we just ask for that in your almighty name. If you believe it, would you say amen? Amen. Well, when I got pregnant with Oakley, she is our little girl who is almost six months, uh, Frosty and I were over the moon excited to have another baby. Now, if you've come along in the last wee while, you might not know our journey with Boston, but it took a couple years to conceive Boston. And so we didn't know if we would face secondary infertility and trying for a second. Thankfully, it didn't take as long, and Oakley is now here. In fact, from the moment I saw those two lines on the pregnancy test, I knew this, I had this gut feeling that this was our little girl, and her name was going to be Oakley. But this pregnancy was different than the first. See, this pregnancy brought on far more emotions than I ever had with Boston. Now, pregnant women are known to cry at just about anything, right? You know, you're crying during pregnancy. You could say, I'm pregnant. Sorry. But this, this pregnancy brought on far more emotions than I could have anticipated. And pretty soon, these emotions were starting to overpower me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been out in the ocean before, and you're swimming out there, you're having a good time, and then all of a sudden, a wave rolls over you, and it pulls you beneath the surface of the water, and you find yourself tumbling and coming up for breath. And as you come up, then the next wave hits you and pulls you back out and pulls you back out. That's kind of what the first half of my pregnancy felt like. I had some pretty dark days in the first trimester. Because not only was the pregnancy taking a toll on me physically and mentally, but then we had sickness after sickness hitting Boston and Frosty at home. So I was trying to care for them while I was also feeling ill myself. And then we were facing some leadership challenges at church as well. And every single time we got hit with a challenge of some kind, it felt like that wave was just pulling me under again. In all honesty, some days I could not get out of bed. Not because I was physically nauseous, but some days I just mentally was not able to cope. And back then, it was about a year ago, I saw this picture of me sitting in this rowboat with no oars, 
no paddles, and I was in the darkest of waters with no sign of the shore in sight. And last year, one conference was just for pastors. And so when I went into this conference, I went in feeling probably the most broken that I've ever felt. I went in feeling so heavy. And I remember going into that conference and I really just didn't want to talk to people because the simple questions of how's motherhood, how's ministry, how are you, were questions that would make me feel like I was sinking. And I didn't really think that people were prepared for the honest answer. You know, over there, morning tea and coffee, when they're saying, how are you, Darcy? I'm like, you really don't want to know how I am while you're enjoying that scone of yours. And so I didn't know fully how to answer those until one night there was a worship session and I found myself in worship sitting in my chair. I couldn't even stand. And I was slumped over in my chair and I was just sobbing and I couldn't stop it. I'm not emotional because of that. It's just, you know, sometimes can bring on the same thing. But I was just sobbing, and I couldn't stand up. And all of a sudden, Stephen Bex, they walk over to me. And Stephen Bex, they lift me from my chair, and they start to pray for me. And Steve describes this picture to me of me standing in this dark, murky, muddy water with no sign of shore in sight, very similar to the picture that I had been feeling. And they pray over me in that moment. But they knew that I was in a storm. They knew I was in a dark valley, and they knew I needed help. And so as we unpack Psalm 23, verse 4 today, I want you to know that I can now stand here and preach from the other side of it. Because when I'm going through something, I will never preach on that very topic because the stage is not my place to process something. But once I'm on the other side of a valley, once I'm on the other side of a storm, once I have healing in some capacity, then I find it important to let you know some of the battles that we face because pastors, in no way are we perfect. In no way do we have easy lives. We face battles just like you. We walk through storms just like you. We walk through dark valleys just like you. But it's all about how we respond when those storms hit. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Soon after conference last year, it was mid-October, God showed me a new picture. He showed me a picture of a bison in a snowstorm, kind of like this one. This is an American bison. Y'all don't really have it here unless you go to the zoo. Um, in Hamilton Zoo, there are some American bison. But he showed me this picture of the bison in the snowstorm, and I was like, God, why? Why a bison? And the, I knew a few things about bison. First of all, because it is Oklahoma's state animal. I'm from Oklahoma, and yes, our states have state animals and state flowers and state vegetables, you know, all the things. We love a thing. And this is the Oklahoma state animal, and I knew that because all over Oklahoma City, there are painted bison statues. They're also called buffalo. They're all over the city. And I also knew that they had some significance with the Native American tribes. And you'll be very surprised to know that I am part Cherokee, y'all. I might be the whitest Native American you ever met. Like this much of my arm is Cherokee, okay? Um, but because I'm part Cherokee, I was involved with the Native American clubs in high school and uni. And before I left for uni, before I left my hometown of Fort Gibson, small hometown, the Cherokee elders in my community, they gave me a Cherokee name which translates to not afraid. And I hadn't thought about that name for a long while until God showed me the image of the bison in the snow. 
And now God can speak to us in a number of ways, but one way that he speaks to me is by showing me some very vivid pictures. But I don't always know what the pictures mean when he first shows me. And so I'll do a little bit of research. And I'll try to uncover what it is that God is trying to say to me. And what I discovered was fascinating. You see, when a storm is approaching, bison, they behave very differently than other animals. If you think about how cows respond when a storm is approaching, if a cow sees a storm coming, the cow will naturally run the opposite direction. They run away from the storm. But what happens is, is the storms are faster than the cows. And so eventually the storm catches up to the cow, but it keeps running in the same direction. And so it prolongs its time spent in the storm. So how are bison different? Are they faster? Yeah, a lot faster. But can they outrun storms? No. But the difference is, when a bison sees a storm coming, they don't run from it, They face it head on, and they charge straight into it. Bison are known to do this. They charge straight into the storm. Why? To get to the other side faster. See, their choice to face the pain actually minimizes their time spent in pain. Their choice to go into the dark valley and face it head on, instead of avoiding it, allows them to get to the other side of it so much faster. And when I discovered this, I knew what God was telling me to do. And this exact photo became the lock screen on my phone for my entire pregnancy. If you ever saw my phone, you're probably like, why she got a bison on there? Because it was reminding me every time I opened my phone to pray a simple prayer, and my prayer was this, God, give me that bison boldness. Give me that bison boldness. That's what I'm calling my message today. If you're taking notes, it's a simple prayer that you can pray to. Give me that bison boldness. See, after I told Stephen Bex what was going on, they connected me with Mike and Liz. Mike is the executive pastor over all of our campuses, and Liz oversees our counseling hub. They were the city campus pastors. And they came to our house one night and sat across the couch from me and Frosty, and I just told them everything that was going on. And through this conversation, I discovered that I was facing antenatal depression and anxiety that was brought on from having post-traumatic stress from a very complicated and traumatic birth with Boston that I hadn't fully dealt with. You see, I gave birth to Boston in level four lockdown. There were complications, there was some trauma, and it led to me experiencing intense and untreated pain, fear, abandonment, loss of control, isolation, and lack of care or help. But what had happened was I had suppressed all of this because I came out of that And I said, well, I've got my answer to prayer. I've got Boston now. This is the baby I've prayed for. I'm holding my blessing. There's there's that. And so I was suppressing it, but I was also suppressing all of it because at the same time, everyone in our country was facing varying degrees of pain as well because of the lockdowns or the vaccine mandates. And when you're a pastor, it's easy to allow other people's pain to take precedence. And so I pushed all of it down to try to move forward, and then I got pregnant again, and it all bubbled back to the surface. And it elevated normal motherhood tiredness to burnout and exhaustion. But Psalm 23.4 tells us, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. This verse speaks to life's most difficult, most challenging, darkest trying times. The valley of the shadow of death can bring up fear and uncertainty because it's often situations where we feel helpless and where we feel vulnerable. But this verse also emphasizes God's ever-present companionship and his ever-present help. 
If you've read this psalm many times, which probably you have, or you've heard us say it many times over the last few weeks, then you might have noticed that in the first three verses, it talks about this beautiful tranquility of green pastures, quiet waters, restoring our soul, paths of righteousness. We lack nothing. And then all of a sudden, there's a change in tone when we get to verse 4. It changes. And all of a sudden, David, who wrote this psalm, is addressing God directly. He's no longer saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. He's like, no, you are with me. All of a sudden, the tone changed. I don't know if you caught that, but David is now just talking about the Lord. He is talking to the Lord. And God reminded me through the bison that I would be facing a storm, but I wouldn't be facing it alone. He reminded me of the name that my Cherokee elders spoke over me when they called me not afraid. He said, Darcy, you don't have to be afraid. You can face this trauma and you can face it head on. I am with you. When we're in a dark valley, we need to change our posture, just like David did, from not just talking about God, but actually talking to him. Because when we're in a dark valley, when we're facing a challenge, when we're facing some difficulty, we don't just need knowledge of God. We need intimacy with God. So I heard God clearly in this moment, but y'all, I was also exhausted. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you are there. I was exhausted physically from pregnancy, but also mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I was like, God, I will face it, but I'm tired. I just need a break. I just need to catch my breath. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but God gets it. He gets that. You see, the good shepherd, he uses his rod, which was like a club, to defend his sheep from attacks of the enemy. But he also had a staff, which he would use to guide his sheep along the right path. And the staff has this curved part on the end, like a hook, that, or it's called a crook, I think, and that he could use to pick up the sheep that had fallen off the path. He could literally use that crook to pick them up and put them on the right path. But guess what? If they were injured, he'd carry them. He would carry them close to his heart. In fact, there is a verse that I held on to throughout my pregnancy as well, and it's actually now printed and framed in the parents' room to encourage the other parents that are maybe going through a difficult season too. Parents in the parents' room, I see you, hello. But it's Isaiah 40, verse 11. It says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Look, when you're feeling too injured to walk, the good shepherd can carry you. You know, I played soccer growing up. Sorry, I'm not much of a rugby girl. Um, <laughs> you got two opposite ends of the spectrum with me and Frosty. He cares so much about that game, and I could have cared less about that game. But... I played soccer growing up. That was my sport. I loved playing soccer, and I was co-captain of the high school girls team. And partway into the season, I injured my ankle really bad, like really bad. I thought I could keep playing on it as long as I just wrapped it real tight and iced it before and after the game. And I was the co-captain. They needed me on the field. That's what my coach kept telling me. And then all of a sudden, in one game, the pain starts to feel so immense. It is consuming every fiber of my being. I played right wing, but one thing that I always did is I was the girl who took the corner kicks. And I remember as I wound up for this corner kick and I slammed my foot into the ball and it goes soaring over perfectly placed. Uh, but I feel pain just shoot up through my whole body. And I realize I can't keep playing on this ankle because if I keep playing on this ankle, there's a chance that it could break. And so I yell out to my coach. I said, coach, I need a sub. He goes, Darcy, you're fine. 
And so I try to keep playing, and I realize I just can't. Like, it is in terrible pain. I said, Coach, I need a sub. I can't keep running on this ankle. He says, Darcy, you're fine. Keep playing. And so stubborn me, I walk straight up to him. I walk off that field, and I say to him, I'll sub myself out then. (laughs) And I went, and I sat down on the bench. (laughs) And I sat down on the bench because I was walking wounded. I might have been co-captain but I could not see the past, the pain in my ankle. And when I benched myself in that game, I was not quitting the game of soccer, but I needed a break to heal before my ankle actually broke. And last year I was reaching a place where I needed a break to heal. I needed to just sit on the bench for a while, even though I'm Frosty's co-captain. I wasn't quitting, but I was prioritizing my healing. You see someone else in scripture who knows the weight of the dark valley is Elijah the prophet. In 2021, I preached a message called The Rain is on Its Way. And it unpacked the story of Elijah and how he prophesied rain after a long drought. And it told the story of him going up against the prophets of Baal, which was the false god, and he won. And it's this amazing story that you can read in 1 Kings chapter 18, a story of massive breakthrough on Mount Carmel. But if you keep reading, there's a part two. And in part two, in chapter 19 of this story, Elijah experiences isolation, fear, and discouragement, and he wants to give up. So let's read some of chapter 19. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. You need to know Ahab and Jezebel, wicked people. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, the false prophets. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This guy that just witnessed an incredible miracle on Mount Carmel, one of the greatest prophets to ever live, all of a sudden he's afraid of Jezebel, and he runs for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touches him and says to him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. One of his greatest achievements, one of the greatest miracles was immediately followed by great discouragement. He was mentally and physically spent. And all of a sudden he was isolated physically, isolated emotionally, psychologically. And you might be thinking, how could this guy be so shattered and so discouraged after he just witnessed the miracle on Mount Carmel? How could it happen to him? Because he's human? Because he's human. Look, I love this story because it actually highlights the humanity of one of the greatest prophets to ever live. It makes Elijah so much more relatable. I don't know about you, but when you hear stories about Elijah and the miracles that he's doing, you're like, that is a holy man of God. Like, I couldn't even become like 50 feet in, you know, in contact with him. But then you read this story and you're like, wow, Elijah was actually so human. You know, I preached part one of Elijah's story when I was pregnant with Boston. Because our promised rain was on its way. 
But then just like Elijah, I faced a part two. And then in this story, it says the angel of the Lord. Now, fun fact, because it says the angel of the Lord and not simply an angel sent by the Lord, it suggests that this is a Christophany moment. That simply means a visible appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning that scholars believe this could have been Jesus himself that appeared to Elijah. Now, the angel of the Lord came to him and told him to get up and eat. He provided fresh bread and a jar of water. Then he let him nap before getting up again. Then he fed him again to strengthen him for the journey ahead, a long journey in the wilderness to reach the mountain of God. You know, the number one way to prolong your dark valley is to stay down. That's going to prolong your dark valley if you simply stay down. Yes, we need rest. And God literally let Elijah have a couple naps, okay? We do need to have a nap. But there comes a time when we need to get up and eat, to get up and nourish ourselves, to get up and gain some strength for the long journey ahead, even if it's walking through the wilderness. There comes a time when we need to allow an angel to come alongside us to nourish us and encourage us. Keys, you can come join me now. I know because I've been there, that a lot of people face dark valley moments and you might be in one yourself. It might have taken all of your energy simply to get here to church today, but you know you're in the right place. But when you're in a dark valley, you need to ask yourself a question and say, God, who could be my angel in this season? Who is God sending to you in this season? Maybe God has sent somebody to your door with a hot meal. Maybe God has sent somebody to your door with a hot coffee. Who has God sent to you to look after your kids while you have a nap? Who's your angel in this season? Don't turn them away when they come to help you because maybe God sent them to you to help give you strength, to help give you encouragement, to help you feel nourished for the journey ahead. You know, God sent us many angels when I was in a dark valley, and many don't even know the extent to which they were helping me find strength for that day. Elijah, he was just benching himself for a moment so he could catch his breath. But you need to get this, church. He was still called by God. He was still going to go on and anoint kings. And his successor, Elisha, God still had a plan and a purpose for his life. He was just benching himself for a moment. Did you know that there is still a plan and a purpose for your life? Maybe you've been sitting down, you've been in a dark valley season, and you think that God can't use you again. Can I tell you, there is still a plan and a purpose for your life. Elijah faced his darkest moment. He was in a dark valley, but he still went on to anoint kings and his successor, Elijah, who went on to do even more miracles than he did. Maybe you've been on on the bench for a while, or maybe you've been in a dark valley season, but in order to get out of that dark valley, you got to get up and eat. You got to get up and walk. You got to get up and put one foot in front of the other to keep moving forward and face the storm with some bison boldness. Stop running from it. Face it head on. You know, I heard somebody on a podcast say recently, motion changes emotion, and I thought that'll preach. Motion changes emotion. 
See, sometimes we just got to move and we got to take active steps, even if they're slow baby steps into the storm, because the simple act of moving forward could actually change our emotions, change how we feel about the storm that is surrounding us. And you might be in a dark valley, but you are not alone. God tells us we don't have to fear when we go through this dark valley because we are not alone. You know, as I was approaching Oakley's due date, God showed me another picture, but it was four bison in a snowstorm. Kind of like this photo that I'll show you here. Isn't that a gorgeous painting? I'm going to get a picture of bison in my home one day. But he showed me a picture of four bison. I said, God, why? Why four? Now, some of you may remember a message I shared about on prayer a long while ago and how God actually used the gift of tongues and Google Translate. Crazy story. Go back and listen to that message. But through that, he clearly told me, we called you mom. In a moment of loneliness in motherhood, he said, I'm here too. God said there's four bison because we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, called you mom. We are with you. You're not in this storm alone. You don't have to face it alone because we have got you surrounded and we are walking with you. Did they take the storm away? No. But did they walk me through it? Yes. You need to know when you are in a dark valley, you don't have to be afraid because he's got you surrounded. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is on your side. You can't run from it. You got to face it head on and know that you are surrounded by the strength of the Almighty God. And just like the Good Shepherd tells us that his rod and his staff comforts us, I knew with full confidence that God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were not just walking with me into Oakley's birth, but they were protecting me on all sides from attacks of the enemy. They were comforting me and encouraging me to just keep moving forward, and I would get to the other side so much faster. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. It says, when you, not if you, when you, not if you. You need to know it's not about if you go into a dark valley. It's when you go into a dark valley, you need to know that God will be with you. The fires will not consume you. The waves will not overpower you. It cannot overwhelm you because God is with you and your good shepherd will use his rod and his staff to protect you. You know what I love about God is he is so in the details. If we take the time to notice them. You know, I really didn't want to go back to Middlemore Hospital to give birth to Oakley because it was a place of trauma for me. But because of complications with Boston's birth and because Oakley kept flipping a breach position multiple times leading up to the due date, they were like, you got to go back to Middlemore. That's the only place that you can give birth. And God was telling me, you just got to face it head on. Go into the storm. We're with you. Go into the storm. And I remember standing in the waiting room of the Middlemore birthing ward when I was in painful contractions and they're just stacking on top of each other horrible place to be in a waiting room when you are literally in the middle of labor waiting for a room and it's so awkward people don't know if they should look at you or not and so I'm standing there waiting in these painful contractions knowing I'm in the middle of the storm this is the thing that I am facing 
And then a nurse comes over to me and she says, we're taking you to room three. You know, God is so in the details. As I walk into room three, he whispers to my heart, see, we've got you surrounded. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are with you. You've got the bison boldness to face this again. We've got you surrounded. If you read on in Elijah's story, God speaks to him clearly, but not in the way that some would expect. From verse 11, it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. There's a great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave to hear what God had to say. God was in the whisper. You know how close you have to be to someone to hear them whisper? You got to be real close. So why would God whisper in the middle of a storm? Perhaps he's trying to draw you closer. He's saying the safest place you could be is right here next to me. And if I shout at you, you can stay way over there. But if I whisper, then you're going to have to draw close. God sometimes speaks to us in a whisper because he wants us right by his side because that is the safest place for us to be where his rod and his staff can comfort you and protect you. But you got to be close. If you want to get out of the dark valley, you need some bison boldness. If you want to overcome the trauma and the pain that is chasing you, you need some bison boldness to turn and face it head on, knowing that you're not alone. If you want to be used by God again, you got to get up and eat. Maybe it's time for you to get off the bench and gain some strength for the journey ahead. No matter how hard it is to walk forward through the storm, you just keep pressing forward one foot in front of the other. Remember, motion can change our emotions. If you want to feel less burdened in the valley, let God and people help you. Let God and people help you. Tell somebody that you're in the valley. You know, I told Stephen Becks. Tell somebody about the storm that you're about to face. I spoke with Mike and Liz who connected me with a counselor. Let people come alongside and help you, but the right people. Maybe you need to go see a counselor, get connected with our counseling hub. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor or get connected with our pastoral team here and allow people to minister to you. Maybe you need a mentor or maybe you need to talk to a trusted friend who, get this, is stronger in their faith than you. That's important. When you're in a valley, you need to go to somebody who is stronger in their faith than you so they can point you to where the good shepherd is. And then you need to let the good shepherd fix your gaze on the green pastures and the quiet waters that are ahead of you. Let him fix your gaze so that you can keep pressing forward no matter what storm is swirling around you and you're going to make it through. I know it to be true. You're going to make it through. Church, I, I know that we started a little bit late today because of the rugby and maybe it's a little bit over time, but I'm gonna do something anyways. I wanna pray for people because this isn't a message that I wanna deliver. If you're sitting there and you're struggling and you need somebody to pray for you, we're gonna have a moment right now. Band, you can come join me.
The band is going to sing for us. And church, would you just stand to your feet? In fact, ministry team, if you were on the ministry team today, could you come to the front? Because I know how hard it is to be in that valley moment. I also know how hard it is to tell somebody that you need help. But if you need help, if you need to get up and eat right now, if you need something to nourish you, some words to encourage you for the season ahead, and staff and interns, you can join the front to pray for people too. Would you come up to one of these people right now as the band sings? Obviously, you can't tell them your full story in this moment, but maybe you could tell some of the pastoral team throughout the week. But let them pray for you right now. Let them give you enough strength for the week ahead. Let them speak life over you. If you are in the valley of the shadow of death, we're going to sing a song. And so church, would you sing this song and declare it over the friends and the family that surround you? And if you need prayer, you can come see one of these amazing people right now.